There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today, space and time are no match for us as we travel from hidden African cities through small town America in the early 21st century, ending up in 1970s Oakland. We'll talk about the highly anticipated new Marvel Universe blockbuster Black Panther. Greta Gerwig's body stays behind the camera, but her soul inhabits every frame of her directorial debut Lady Bird. And in the film club, we buckle up for a long, strange intergalactic trip with free jazz legend Sun Ra to find out if space really is the place. This is Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello, I'm Stuart Reed. My travelling companions on this week's show are Hannah Woodhead, social producer at Little White Lies. Hello. Hello. And Carl Anker, writer and journalist. Hello. Greetings, true believers. Ladies, gentlemen, hello. So, what a week it's been. Carl, I think my ears are still ringing after going to the European premiere of Black Panther. I'm not sure that I needed quite so much DJ Semtex in the run-up to the film. <laughs> I'm knocking on a bit. I, I think I've still got tinnitus as a result of that. He's the one on Bandit. <laughs> Hannah, did you make it to the premiere? I did indeed, yeah. It, it was, was a good night out. It yeah. certainly was. It made me think, we're travelling all over the place today. We're starting off with Black Panther in just a few moments. We're heading back to the early 21st century. And we're going even further back in time with Sun Ra. So... I was just curious to think if you guys could go anywhere in any cinematic universe at any point in history, where would you go? Anywhere in any film ever? Yeah. Oh, that's just there's, there's loads of places you wouldn't want to go, right? Terry Gilliam's Brazil, there's no way I'd want to go there. <laughs> yeah. Blade Runner, possibly for the architecture, Yeah. but then not for the weather. No. Wouldn't want to go on the Nostradamus. No. Yeah. At any point. At any point. No. It's easier to tell you places I wouldn't want to go rather than places I would go, I think. <laughs> you know? Let's do it then. Tell me a couple of places you would not like to go. Uh, the jungle where Predator is set. Yeah. Uh, Skull Island. I think what yeah. we're learning from this... <laughs> Just don't go back in time yeah. if, if you have the option. How about the future, Carl? The world of Fifth Element is very intriguing to me. I think if you could give me one very specific place to go to, it'd be the first 15 minutes of Valerian. Oh, yeah. Just nice. that. Yeah. Time dilated bit. I'm okay, no. As all of the aliens are onboarded. Yeah, I'll take that bit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll throw it open to the listeners as well. If there's one place in time and space in a movie that you could go back to or move forward to, let us know. Truth and movies at tcolondon.com or at LW Lies on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we've had some correspondence. Do the kids still call it correspondence? I don't know. It's possibly an email. 
<laughs> this is uh, from Ben, who says, Team, the thing I liked best about The Shape of Water was how Del Toro gradually made the creature more human in the film, while Shannon devolved physically into being a grotesque creature of our darkest dreams. Absolutely loved this film. Four, five, five. He also says this is one of the toughest years for Best Picture and Mudbound wasn't even nominated. I'd love to see Get Out win with the audience saying in unison, I see what you did there. And I should add that the film I enjoyed the most was Coco. I'm such a sap. I mean, Coco's a great film. I, I mean, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for thinking that's the best film last year. It's a good year for Best Picture, mm. but I think, uh, sadly, Three Billboards has got it all sewn up. You think so? I think so. I think it's going to run out of steam. You think? In the same way that... Boyhood looked nailed on to win and then it ran out of steam just at the last quarter. Yes. I think, maybe you know, using the old sporting analogy, there's such a thing as starting too well. Mm. Yeah. Um, It'd be nice to see Shape of Water kind of just creep in there or indeed Get Out. Yeah, I think Get Out's got a lot sort of going against it. You know what the Academy's like because they picked Moonlight last year. I think they're going to be like, oh, well, we've done that. We, you know, <laughs> we've given black directors a chance, you know. Yeah. Of course, the great joke of Get Out is... That the bad guys of Get Out would be the exact sort of people to give Get Out the best picture exactly. nomination. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if I could vote for it, I would have voted twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's the beauty of Get Out. If Get Out existed, the bad guys in Get Out would love the film Get Out, which makes it terrifying. So my friend very recently watched Black Panther, and he gave the caption of the father from Get Out going, I love Black Panther. <laughs> um, I hope that now becomes the joke. Sure. Some very well-meaning people enjoying black art and going oh god do I really like this or am I the bad guy in Get Out and then me just very humorously going you're both you can be both right yeah <laughs> probably don't want to be but you could be yeah let's move on to our first film this week the highly anticipated 18th movie from Marvel Studios Black Panther So, yes, we were all fortunate enough to be at the European premiere for this last week. Carl, we have a clip. Tell us what we're about to listen to. Uh, we're about to listen to the big bad of Black Panther, Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw, very politely explaining to CIA agent Mr. Freeman how the legend of El Dorado does not exist in South America, but instead exists in Africa in a nation known as Wakanda. What do you know about Wakanda? a third world country. Textiles, shepherds, cool outfits, all the front. Explorers have searched for it for centuries. Yeah. The Golden City is a technological marvel. They called it El Dorado. They looked for it in South America. But it was in Africa the whole time. So 18 films into the Marvel Universe, and we've got something that's quite different, Carl. Yes, it, this is different and still the same and phenomenal. The European premiere saw 3,000 people at the Hammersmith Apollo, and I've never seen a film event like this before. I've like, never witnessed anything like it. I, I'm a long-storied comic book reader. I go to all the comic book conventions. I've talked to older nerds who are in their 40s and 50s going, you could have never have told me. 20, 35 years ago that the biggest thing in pop culture would be those books I got bullied for as a teenager. But Black Panther feels different. This truly felt like the crest of a wave. 3,000 people in the house of Apollo, nearly every single prominent black 
culture writer I can find on Twitter was there in some shape or form. Loads of them were in traditional African dress. I was wearing a fugu. People will find it very weird that black people were dressed up in traditional dress. Uh, my retort to them is people dress up as Jedi when they go and watch Star Wars. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on. It's weird to describe this as Star Wars for black people or like a Star Wars style or sized event for black people, but it, it feels different and remarkable. And there are three points in the film where I shed a tear and my brain just sort of gave some sort of, I can't really describe the visceral response I had to this film and to just the sheer thrill of seeing 15 black people do something that isn't being whipped or crying, or enslaved, or murdered, or being sold. Just 15 black people on screen going, hello, we are capable, we are smart, we are talented, we are going to sort out this situation. And it is remarkable how few and far between you get that in cinema. Mm. I can't wait to show this film to my dad. I can't wait to show this film to my nine-year-old nephew. I can't wait to show this film to my children. I can't wait to show this film to everyone. The cynic is going, oh, you're still giving money to Disney. I don't care. I want, I want as many young black children to see this film. Well, this is, this is one of the concerns I had. Do you think there's any part of Marvel Studios that have come up with Black Panther as a slightly cynical ploy just to get the black dollar? I don't think so. I think if they did, the Black Panther would have come out a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. So if you watch the entire Marvel canon, Black Panther is being teased in Iron Man 2. This is a long-standing thing. Black Panther as a character is one of the core members of the Avengers. Black Panther's a huge, heavy hit in the Marvel Universe. If they wanted to get the Black Dollar really quickly, they would have just released it on Netflix or on television. But they're going, no, let's do this properly. Let's get Ryan Coogler. Let's get Michael B. Jordan. They've gone out and treated this with the care and respect it deserved. Because if you got this wrong, oh my goodness. Like the idea of having a separatist nation of African people who are highly technologically advanced speaking in very thick, non-white-touched accents could have fallen apart. If they were phoning that in, he would have sounded like a fool. You would not have taken it seriously. So Disney and Marvel, the thing they do very, very well that other superhero or other blockbuster campaigns aren't so great at is they take the faintly ridiculous with the respect that other people have spent years dedicated to the law think that it deserves. If, you, if you've spent 25 years of your life reading Black Panther comic books and you see Black Panther, you are going to cry because you're going, that is everything I wanted to see. There's a bit in the film later on where Charla, the Black Panther character, walks out and he's wearing a coat and on the back of the coat, he's wearing Kente Koth print, which is the print of my tribe in West Africa. And I started crying. This is a massive $200 million film and there's a character in it wearing my tribal print that my granddad, my granddad's granddad, my granddad's granddad's granddad used to wear to a wedding. Did you have any hint that was going to happen? No, no idea. Blew my mind. I think the incredible thing is about this film for me is like every single second of it, there's so much care and attention, not just from Disney, but from Ryan Coogler and from the cast. Like they are all clearly so committed to it Mm. and so invested in the film. You can't watch it and not feel that way about it. You know, I'm a white sort of middle class girl who from England but I was watching this and like this is amazing to see like a superhero film which a lot of people do dismiss as kind of like easy bit pulp culture yeah exactly and to see it treated with such reverence it's it's just remarkable and this is proof that when you get a director to make one of these films director with so much talent and a cast with so much talent you know you make a film that transcends a superhero genre it becomes something 
more than that. Not not to disparage superhero films, I'm a massive Marvel. Even for my sins, a DC fan, but... There's got to be one. <laughs> <laughs> but it just feels remarkable. It feels like a law unto itself. This is what everyone should be doing in Hollywood, you know. It's remarkable. It's an important film. Is it an entertaining film? Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, the first so. 15 minutes of it is the best James Bond film you've seen in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so funny as well. Like, yeah. but, but not slapstick. Not like You know, Thor Ragnarok, which I also loved, was very silly. This doesn't ever feel silly. It's very smart. The humour is perfectly pasted. It perfectly judged. Mm. There's a great, great moment where um, they, they reference a vine, like a meme, and like everyone in the Apollo just went wild. And I was like, this is just like amazing yeah to its credit it's very self-contained the interesting thing for marvel is when 18 films in infinity wars coming up soon if you dismiss marvel films as a diversion or a bubble that's about to burst but you're seeing infinity war which will possibly be the first ever billion dollar film you ever you're like okay where do i jump in to watch these films mm. black Panther's a pretty good place to start you've got your first act which pretty much it deals with some things that turn up in age of ultron it deals with some things that were in civil war but then it goes to Wakanda, and that's it. That's it's it, yeah. just a you very don't... Shakespearean style, it family drama-based yeah. plot based in one location and based over possibly the course of four or five days, which is amazing. In terms of origin stories, like I think it's the most compelling Marvel have ever put on screen. Easy to access as well. You're not yeah. watching it going, oh, I don't know what this is, I don't understand this. It, it's so kind of, they've condensed a lot into it but done it the right way. And if you're not into Marvel films or if you've never seen a Marvel film, which I find incredible there are people out there who've never seen a Marvel film, this is like the perfect place to start. You know, it's a great origin film. And it's also a great film if you've got a generation of kids that weren't old enough to see Iron Man or even Iron Man 2. If you've got kids that are eight or nine years old now and are ready to jump into this universe, I can't think of a better point for them to come in. Yeah. The pre-credits role is a fairy tale being told from father to son, which outlines the world of Wakanda. And it it's two minutes in length, and it does what the entire first act of the first Captain America film did, in terms of this is how the hero found his powers, did this, overcame, and then went off to war. Um, and it shows the credit of how Marvel storytelling has developed and how they've earned trust. They can go, right, we can just spend two minutes doing something we spent an hour explaining 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and that's the strength of good storytelling. They've earned empathy. They've earned the right to be weird. And thankfully, Black Panther is a film that is weird. And it's different. It, you know, the opening flight over Wakanda <laughs> is one of the most beautiful things it's I've incredible, seen yeah. since the first time I watched Blade Runner. So the first time you ever watch Blade Runner, you see the skyscrapers belch up fire. And you go, I can completely understand how this world works. This is the future. And we've put buildings and space above human needs and then you fly over Wakanda and you go oh my god this is like one of the most advanced cities in the world but it doesn't look like New York it doesn't look like London it doesn't look like Paris it doesn't look like Singapore this is a city that is built by black people it is inspired and has structures that are inspired by nature and animals around them there's a bit near the end of the third act where a character runs off mid-battle and blows a horn now Film logic dictates you go off and blow a horn mid-fight, you're going to request a helicopter or a tank or a <laughs> dragon, or you're going to request a big gun. What eventually comes out blew my mind. I went, of course, they're in East Africa. They wouldn't call out a tank. They'd call out that, really. Yes. <laughs> it's such a smart film. It's an odd thing to say, but I kind of wanted less 
of the battle sequences and less of the fight sequences and more of the more human sequences. If there's one thing I'd take away from it, I think the Eric Killmonger character, Michael B. Jordan's character, I could have done with him feeling a little bit more fleshed out. As a character, he just felt a tiny bit one-dimensional to me. Oh, no. No. No? No. Without going too deep into spoilers and whatnot, Mm -hmm. he's perhaps the best Marvel villain we've had in a long, long, long time. They say Marvel films have a problem with villains because they're very, very rarely good, compelling villains. That's twofold problems. One, Marvel films aren't about the bad guys. They're about the good guys. So it's all about making you enjoy the good guys. Because if you're going to watch 18 films about this one universe, you want to make the characters really interesting to be around. And the characters are going to be around for 18 movies are the good guys. So the bad guys, yeah, whatever, whatever. Okay. Two, all of phase one, they didn't know who the bad guy of Avengers was going to be. So if you watch Iron Man 1, you watch Captain America 1, you watch all of them, the bad guys don't die. They just disappear or fall off ledges because they were screen testing to see who the bad guy in Avengers 1 was going to be. And then uh, Tom Middleton screen tested really well. So, oh, Loki's coming back for Avengers. So on the bad scale of this, you've got Thor 2 and the villain was terrible and just whatever. I don't know why Christopher Eccleston (laughs) thought he could besmirch the good name of Doc 2 and then do Thor 2. Um, And then you've got Killmonger who... Again, talking about this like Shakespearean family element, Killmonger's not really a villain. There's so much stuff Killmonger says and does and his motivations, and you're going, yeah, fair enough. Especially as a black man. like This is a constant conversation going on in the black community. There's a lot of conversations about how the black community should move forward and how we should present ourselves to the white world that come across a lot in Black Panther, and I wasn't expecting the film to go there. There is a section where one of the characters talks about mass incarceration and Ronald Reagan's war on drugs and whether or not a highly technologically advanced society as Wakanda should appear from the world and stop that. And you're going, damn, I was expecting a snarky guy on the internet to make that point, not someone to make that point within the film itself. Mm. So for me, Killmonger is an f- amazing villain. I think I could have done with more of him, to be honest. I think he's a very interesting character. And because they have so much to fit in in Wakanda, which rightly so, because it's fascinating and... The supporting cast is so good. Like you kind of want everyone to have more time. Like I could probably watch a four-hour cut of this. Like it's you know. Well, yeah, yeah. The, first, the first cut was apparently four hours, and I want I want to see a four-hour cut. I yeah, want to see definitely. more of Shuri. Like Shuri, uh, Letitia oh, yeah. Wright. She's so she was my yeah. highlight. Like, she's, she's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Her character's like smarter than Tony Stark. Yep, like I she, want a standalone film. Like, she's, she's the smartest character in all of the Marvel canon now. In the comic book, Shuri eventually becomes the new Black Panther when Charles walks off and goes, I'm going to go do Avengers stuff. You take care of Wakanda while I'm away. I want to see Shuri as Black Panther in Black Panther 3. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was, I mean, Letitia Wright's a fantastically talented actress, but like she shone so much. And there's so many things about Black Panther, but the female characters for me were like the strongest Marvel's ever had. Oh, like, they yeah. were, the women are not a second fiddle at all. They're like respected and. They have their own stuff going on, like yeah. you know, they're no, never second fiddle, and in some ways they're more competent. And well, the, more women, like... the women are the protectors of of Wakanda. Yeah, the yeah. Dora Mijo. Uh, so they were an invention in comic books that one. They didn't start off as a great idea. So they were essentially in the comic books, future child brides of Black Panther, and then like a good comic book writer came onto the Black Panther comics. Went, let's not let's <laughs> desexualize that. And what you have now is just an amazing visual of six dark skinned black women shaved heads going into war mm. fighting incredibly competently not sexed up it's the the Amazonian scene from Wonder Woman for black women uh, if that's a bit churlish but um, the, the the sheer visual of that I've just gone oh 
that's six dark-skinned black women who are highly competent and really, really intelligent going into fight and they're not worried about anything. I can't think of a film that's ever done that before. There's a fantastic scene where Martin Freeman is uh, talks to Charla about one of the characters and goes, does she speak English? And the character leans out and goes, only when she wants to. <laughs> and it's so powerful. It's such a powerful scene because there are so many people, so many black people in that cinema who watch it at the premiere who must have had a moment where their mum or their aunt or their dad or their uncle or someone's been talking in open conversation and there's been someone around in London going and speak English or Wakanda forever. (laughs) Let's move on to the scores. Hannah. I think it was a four for me, anticipation. I can never like fully like, I feel like if I get too excited for a Marvel film, I'm only going to let myself down. Like, but um, definitely a five for enjoyment. And then, a four or a five, I think, in retrospect. I think initially I thought it was a four, but kind of now, like, you know, a week later, I'm like, oh, no, maybe it is a five. So, yeah. Okay. Anticipation-wise, I was hovering around a three to three and a half, only because I'm kind of superheroed out, you know? I've been a little bit jaded with the whole superhero universe. Enjoyment, though, four to a five, absolutely. I, And I think, in retrospect, I've scribbled down a three, but you know what? It's probably more like a four. It's such a rich film and it does keep rewarding you. The more you think about it, the more you get from it. Carl, what do you think? It's five all the way for me. It's the first blockbuster superhero film with an all-black cast. That's a five for me. This is the superhero film I'm going to be talking about for a long, long, long time. Some superhero films transcend the genre of superhero I always contest that superheroes aren't a genre. Superheroes consume genre. So you have Mm. superhero heist films, you have superhero cowboy films, you have superhero noir films. So superhero isn't a genre, it's just a a playground for which you put your genre into. Black Panther's a superhero movie for people that don't like superhero movies. So I give that a five. And in retrospect, yeah, there's going to be a generation of black children called T'Challa and Shuri. So it's a five in retrospect. (laughs) Let us know what you think of Black Panther, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com or you can tweet us or get us on Facebook at LWLies. Coming up next, Ladybird. So Greta Gerwig's directorial debut Ladybird hits the screens this week, starring Cersei Ronan as I think a thinly veiled version of Greta Gerwig herself. The film is set uh, in the early part of the 21st century. Hannah, what are we about to listen to? So in this scene, uh, Ladybird is driving back from a college interview with her mother and they are... They've just finished listening to their audio tape of The Grapes of Wrath and they're about to have a big fight. I want to go where culture is, but like New York. How in the York, world did I raise such a Or at snob. least Connecticut or New Hampshire, well, where writers live in the get woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You can't even pass your driver's test. Because you wouldn't let me practice The way enough. that you work, or the, or the way that you don't work, you're not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Ladybird. Uh, well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Ladybird like Christine. you said you would. Just, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College, and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. <laughs> At which point, Lady Bird spends probably the next half of the movie with her arm in a in a cast. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler to say that. So the film is set at the start of the 21st century in 2002, and it's about an artistically inclined 17-year-old girl whose real name is Christine, but she wants to call herself Lady Bird. It's her preferred title. And it's just about her coming of age in Sacramento, a small town in, uh, in California. Hannah, what did you think of it? I loved it. I think... Um... 
it's a film that anyone, and I'm, I know this is only half the population, anyone that's ever been a teenage girl, I think, will be able to find something they relate to in this film. I've never been a teenage girl. So. <laughs> I would hope that even if you weren't a teenage girl, you would take something away from it. If you've ever known a teenage girl, if you've ever seen a teenage girl, I think you will find something. If you haven't been a teenager, you know, like it's one of those great coming-of-age films that don't come along very often. And for me... I grew up in a small town. I went to a Catholic school. For me, there was a lot of stuff in here that I like really did relate to. And I think um, Greta Gerwig has made a film about herself that isn't self-indulgent. It is very poetic and it says a lot about relationships with your family and it's very honest and funny and heartfelt without being schmaltzy or sentimental. Stylistically, Carl, it felt quite unusual. I didn't seem to, to feel very many kind of dramatic highs and lows with this. It seemed very much what you see is what you get. I disagree. There is a lot hidden in the casting. So there are a lot of characters that have particularly craggy and worn down faces and that's where the stylistic stuff happens. So uh, Lady Bird's father, played by played by Tracy Letts, <laughs> he has the most wonderful borderline Santa Claus white beard mm. and just a very warm-hearted decency. And there's a scene in it where there's a, a small family disagreement between Lady Bird and her mother and the dad <coughs> is witness to it. And then Lady Bird's mum calls out something that Lady Bird did to her, her dad. And he just sort of sits there with his little nice face. And it's such a small gut punch. And it does this really, really well. It, re- it reminds me a lot of the really artistic music videos we got in the early 2000s where there are a lot of scenes that it's just snap, snap, snap. And the background changes, but characters are still the same, yeah. in the same position. It's a really beautiful film about essentially nothing and about teenage nothing and love and family. And it's only 90 minutes long, but it, by 25 minutes, the world of Lady Bird and Sacramento is far more better realised than lesser teenage coming-of-age films. Well, you consider how long Boyhood was and how long mm. Boyhood spent with this character and to try and make you understand the city he was in and the friendships he had, and you consider in 25 minutes Lady Bird had done all that. That's not to say I I dislike Boyhood, but to say these are two very similar coming-of-age films, and Lady Bird gets across so much more in this maison scene. There's a vicar in that helps put together the school play, and he's a very big, burly, soft soul. Hmm. And there's a small bit where he just starts crying. And again, really small segment, but stylistically beautiful. And I think... That's the true strength of it, that a lot of it comes across in just people's faces. And Greta Gerwig is fantastic at framing faces. She gets so much out of Scherz's face. She gets so much out of Timothy Chamelet's face and his like, weird cocked eyebrow all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit where he's like laying on the bed reading a book and he, he's, he's done like three buttons on his shirt and it's like, oh, I hate you. I've met that teenage boy <laughs> so many times and I hated you when I was 17 when I met you and I hate you now that I'm 27 and I've met you. And it's got that great feeling of teenage, everything's the most important thing at all times and then it keeps cutting to another scene where every, the next thing's the most important thing yeah. and the next thing's the most important thing, which is why it can seem stylistically consistent, but it, the beauty's in the details for me. So Hannah, it's about everything and it's about nothing. It is, yeah, that's the best way of describing it. I think for me... Um, I hated being a teenager. I was incredibly unhappy. And this film really, it frames that kind of misery in a very beautiful way. And um, it reminds me a lot of The Virgin Suicides, which was Sophia Coppola's debut. Yes. This is kind of, I would say, the antithesis to that film. Like, it's that film is total tragedy. This is, like, tragedy, but not really. It's just the kind of general malaise of being a teenager. And also, particularly... 
being a teenage girl and the relationship you have with your mother is a very every teenage girl you know I grew up with had at some point a contentious relationship with her mother one of the strands of Ladybird is how it shows the fraughtness of this relationship and Laurie Metcalf does a really beautiful job of portraying um, Ladybird's mother Marion as this kind of woman who doesn't see eye to eye with her daughter and they struggle a lot and a lot of the film is them fighting with each other and not only fighting but making up and like there's a great scene when they're shopping together for prom dress oh, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah it just like devolves so quickly and I was like I've had that conversation with my mother I've been in that prom dress shop and there's just something really honest about it that greatly appealed to me. It was like watching someone bare their soul on the cinema screen. I think in the wrong hands, Laurie Metcalf's character could be really unsympathetic, but mm. there is a sense of something deeper. There is a sense of tragedy to her. Oh, definitely. And I think if I'd watched this film as a teenager, I would have hated her character. I would have been like, oh, God, yes. But now I watch it and I understand her mm. character because, you know, it's a long time since I was a teenager and my relationship with my mother is a lot better now and I have a lot more empathy for her and I can see why she made the decisions she did, although I still don't agree with them. And it's the same with Laurie Metcalf's character. I think she does a great job of being sympathetic but also hard. You know, being a mother is a hard job and you have to be hard with your kids, I think, sometimes. There's a great moment where they have a dispute over who makes the eggs for breakfast. Oh, God, yeah. And it's... Again, it's the most important thing to everyone in that room mm. in that moment. But it's just eggs for breakfast and everyone is just, just hurry up and get on with it because I have to go to work and I have to go to school and this is the thing and this is the thing and this is the thing. And the scene's over in two minutes and it's the next argument. And you're just like, yeah, this is... I don't want to quite call it relatable because well, you often get to a point in time where we mistake relatability for quality. This is a great film regardless of whether or not you're a teenage girl or not. This is a great film regardless of not whether or not you see yourself or see a character in there. There are some superb performances. Lucas Hedges as Danny does like a weird inversion of the character who played in uh, Manchester by the Sea. So in Manchester by the Sea, he's sort of like, oh, I'm a wholesome teenage boy. I'm secretly terrible. Um, <laughs> whereas in this one, he's like, oh, I'm a really decent, I'm your lovely first boyfriend. It doesn't quite work out. And you're just like, oh, He's so sweet. He's so sweet. <laughs> you just want to... Give him a hug. There are so many characters in it that just possess... A quiet decency. And Greta Gerwig is fantastic at getting that quiet decency and putting on screen. Yeah, it's a delight. I I can't wait to watch it again and to take people I really love and care about and let them watch it and Mm. let them have a good, happy cry when they watch it too. We should talk about Cersei Ronan's performance because it is quite remarkable. Yeah, I think she is an astoundingly talented young actress. Um, You know, ever since Atonement, she's kind of been Mm. one to watch. And this film is... Her performance is... We were talking about how, like, there are no major dramatic points. I think she is the major dramatic point. Like, she kind of, like, pirouettes around, like, goes from this kind of, like... Pirouette is a yeah. great word to describe her. You know, yeah. she, she is the archetypal teenage girl. You know, she is anxious and dramatic and sad and in love with the world around her. Like, and we've all, I'm sure... Men included. No, we, we have, we have all. I don't, I, don't, I don't think we should say there are the, the feelings that you feel in this film are specific to women. That good, is good. that is the great quality of this film. Well, the thing for me as well, like her relationship with her peers as well, is so kind of everything is so um, transcendental. Like she really wants to fit in with the popular kids, so she kind of ends up like you know ditching her uncool friends and 
I don't know. I, I, I'm captivating. Finding, she is captivating. And you forget she's acting because it's so natural and she just inhabits this role. I don't want to be that person who's like the cliche, she was born to play this role. But like she, she kind of seems like she was, you know. Mm. it's She's obviously got such a great understanding of the character and relationship with Greta. Like I think that comes across more than anything. It feels like Friends well, making a movie. The best films kind of feel like they were made by people who like each other. Yeah, and it um, shows. To link back to Black Panther previously, that was Ryan Coogler's third film with Michael B. Jordan. Yes. He knows how to shoot Michael B. Jordan's face. Mm. He knows how to make Michael B. Jordan look really interesting. Very similar thing you see, especially when Edgar Wright is not directing Simon Pegg. Mm. <laughs> if you put those two people away from each other, you really, oh no. It doesn't quite work, does yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a really great film as to what people can do when they're really good friends and how they can really shoot each other's faces. The way Saoirse screams, she does it full tilt on tiptoes, leans yeah. forward, goes both arms out like an aeroplane, just goes, ah! And it's shot face on, like frontal. And you're going, yeah, that is a teenage scream. That is every single pore and hair on your body the is on edge. The world and, is pouring out at that time. Yeah, yeah. and you, there's such care in, in building the world and in such care in how you shoot your friend and it turns into something magical. I think that's a good question for the for the listeners, actually, um, about directors and their friends who they work with, kind of who's your favourite duo or group mm. of people that work together and do it really well. I've always been quite critical of Richard Linklater for using the same people over and over again. But I think it does show, like, David Lynch and Laura Dern, for example, two of my favourite, like, when they work together, I'm always like, yes, come on. It goes all the way back to Orson Wells and his mm. troupe of, of theatre, theatre thespians, theatre people that he chose to be in Citizen Kane and then continued using for, for a lot of his films. Yeah. The only thing I didn't really like about Lady Bird was the score. I found it... Really? Yeah. I love I, the it score. It irritated me for some reason. Are you not a John Bryan fan? No. I think that's uh, quite possibly what the problem is. The score is okay. Mm. <laughs> I'm not watching this film for music. I'm watching this film for faces. Okay. Scores then for Lady Bird. Anticipation. I knew next to nothing about it. I went in blind. So maybe two on anticipation. Enjoyment. Four. Perhaps five. This is amazing. It's the film that you remember boyhood being mm -hmm. so if you watch boyhood mm -hmm. again you're like wait this isn't as good as i remember um <laughs> whereas you watch this one oh this is the version of boyhood that plays in my brain um so enjoyment four and then in retrospect maybe five i watched this at home by myself but i would really like to take my mom to watch it mm -hmm. you know in a nice way and watch her like have a happy cry about there's a thing I like to horribly torture my mum with and show her movies where children and teenagers leave for university and watch my mum like cry and hug me and like, oh my God, my son's leaving me again. Cool, man. Um, and of that genre, the one that happens in Lady Bird is the best I've ever seen. For me, I think Anticipation was a four because I'm a big fan of Greta Gerwig. I love Cersei Ronan. Interestingly... I couldn't quite connect with it. I couldn't quite connect with the film. So I'm giving it a three for enjoyment. But oddly, I would like to have sat down and watched it in a cinema with an audience. I just feel I would have gotten more out of it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched it in the cinema a while ago now. And um, it was a packed press screening. And it was nice to kind of have that communal element to it and mm. have people laughing at the same like silly moments that you're laughing at. Mm. I think it is one of those films that's best enjoyed with someone... With at least one other person, not that people can't enjoy it on their own, but it does... Yeah, you kind of want to give someone a hug when you're watching it. Yes. It's yes. so warm. Really, like, you really yeah. do. I called my mum afterwards. 
So I guess retrospectively, I've got to give it a three, but maybe I will go and see it in the cinema when it's out. Hannah? Um, I think it's a three in anticipation. I didn't really know much about it. I don't know. I'm, I was feeling a little bit over the kind of like coming of age teen drama, but uh, definitely I'd say a four and a four for enjoyment and in retrospect. It might be a five when I get round to rewatching it. For this to be a directorial debut is like hugely impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she yeah. she yeah. co-directed a film before, but this is like, yeah, this doesn't feel like a first film. It feels like someone making this like 10 years down the line like I'm yeah. just yeah I'm amazed that she made this for her first film hats off to Greta Gerwig next up is uh, the Little White Lies Film Club Space is the Place One Size Fits All seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why United Healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So finally, this week is Space is the Place from 1974. Stars Sun Ra... If you're unfamiliar with who Sun Ra is, he's probably best known for being an avant jazz keyboardist stroke band leader with his uh, orchestra. Uh, and the film is about Sun Ra. And it, uh, I'm not sure if he's playing himself or if he's playing a type of character that is called Sun Ra. But in this film, he's a space age prophet uh, who lands his spaceship in Oakland in the early 1970s, having, having been presumed lost in space for a few years. And for a uh, a live on-the-spot report we'll uh, hand over to Jimmy Fay. This is Jimmy Fay, Channel 5 Stone Jive, the all-black station for all black people with all the news that grooves at noon, live from Oakland, California. <laughs> As you are probably aware, several local mystics have predicted a landing from space this afternoon here at this spot opposite the Sector 5 government building in the person of a black musician and thinker named Sun Ra. I haven't seen him yet. He should be here any time now. He's reported to have disappeared while traveling in Europe in June 1969. He's reputed to have been traveling in outer space all this time with his intergalactic mid-signed solar orchestra. And upon landing here, will reveal to the world his so-called plan for the salvation of the black race. Where the hell is he? It is now a couple of minutes past the time when Mr. Ra is scheduled to appear, so apparently he's not quite as efficient as our own NASA program people. So we chose to do this film because we wanted to do something that would tie in nicely with Black Panther. And Space is the Place is kind of one of the leading lights of the um, Afrofuturism movement from the 70s. 
and we got uh, some feedback from people that went away and watched it. So uh, Angus Davies sent us an email. He said, zero expectation upon commencement, but I had a lot of fun with this. Dizzying free jazz freakouts, almost no continuity or discernible narrative structure, and some truly excellent retro-futurist set and costume design. Not entirely sure how to assemble a critical analysis of something that sits so far outside the boundaries of conventional storytelling, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> and Matt Frith, who uh, was down at Shoreditch House last week on our live podcast, said, watch it yesterday, it's quite um something. <laughs> Which it is, it's quite it's yeah. quite something. I think there's there's fair points made by both of those guys. I think if uh, the monkey's head was involved in a head-on collision with Unchen and Dali, you'd probably get something fairly similar to this. I went in uh, not knowing what to expect, really, because I, I don't know a great deal about Sun Ra. I'm still, to this day, I'm just slightly puzzled by it all. It's neither fish nor fowl. I wanted more of the musical elements in it. That's a shame that there isn't more of Sun Ra performing live in the film. And I guess, stupidly, I went in hoping it would make sense. And I really don't think it does, does it? No, I would point out that you're meant to be confused by it. A lot of the point of Afrofuturism is to confuse you. It's something you've never seen before. The very idea of a super highly technologically advanced and capable set of black people, you've never seen that before. You're meant to be confused. In the same way that Black Panther doesn't, Wakanda doesn't look like New York. Afrofuturism is all about, we're gone. And I'm saying we because I'm a, you know I'm a black man. I'm from my parents are from Ghana. Like we're we're gone. We're off doing this and ta ta. <laughs> to a sense, I guess the um, problem is though if you if you're trying to do Afrofuturism but you don't have a budget, it's hard to communicate what you're trying to get across, isn't it? Yes and no. I, uh, I think he communicated what he wanted to communicate very well. Yeah. Um, there's a great moment in the film where Sun Ra's kind of holding counsel, and this guy comes from NASA to like try and get a job with him and he's like oh I need a job I need to feed my family and Sun Ra's just like no yes. <laughs> it's like you're white like what are you doing here and it's like it's it's a film so clearly born out of the 70s and born out of the frustration with politics and it's set in Oakland which of course is historically been like this great sort of melting pot of um well there's been like a lot of racial tensions in Oakland you know it's historically a primarily like black community and they've been treated incredibly badly mm. by white society out there and yeah it kind of sings with the frustration of um the era and I love that I love how ballsy it is and how little it makes sense and so this came out in 1974 there's a phenomenal I think Rich- it was shot a couple of years before that though wasn't yes. it yeah um so there's a phenomenal Richard Pryor comedy set around about this time period where Richard Pryor talks about science fiction in the movies and he goes the amount of times I watch science fiction movies in the 70s and there are no black people there and he goes I went to the cinema and I watched Logan Run ain't no black people in it and I'm watching the whole film going wow you're just not expecting us to be here in the future Hmm. and you know you get songs like White on the Moon from Gil Scott Heron which is all about how the Kennedy administration was talking about going to the moon and spending all this money on space travel rather than fixing all the problems in the racially divided United States and you're going you know, there is the belief of some sections of the black community that is going, white people are so concerned about going to the moon as a form of class warfare. Because the people who we are able to afford to go to Mars and colonize Mars and the moon aren't the people that look like me because I'm not going to have the money to do it. So your, as in well-to-do one percenters, will go off to the moon and Mars and leave the underclass on Earth with dwindling resources, chaotic futures, and possibly nuclear fallout, which is sort of what happened when the colonialisers and the Commonwealth and the former colonialisers left Africa. It was just, cheers, 
Tora, we've got no gold and minerals left. Oh, it's fine. We're just going we've back home. It, we're going to leave. Yeah, and, and it's that sort of belief. And Afrofuturism is a rejection of that. And it's it's the belief that we're going to go colonize the stars, and it's not going to look like what NASA's version of mm. Mars is going to look like. And we're going to come back, and we're going to drop moon rocks and do something amazing. And to link it back to Black Panther, in the Black Panther comic books right now, being written by Tanahisi Coates and Evan Narkisi, I think I've got his name right. Forgive me if I haven't. Wakanda's going to the stars right now in the comic books. The first galactic empire of Wakanda is currently going on in the stars and it looks different. This is a constant thing in loads of uh, shaggy god stories and science fiction about when black people go to the moon, we're going to do it differently because Mm. we're not going to colonize. We're not going to take all the gold and ruin all the great tribes and there's not going to be... Black stories of science fiction are not fixated on emancipation in the same way that white stories about science fiction are. So if you watch enough science fiction, someone's Abraham Lincoln, eventually. Someone comes to Mars or goes to whatever and is like, oh, look, Martian people are being held as slaves. I'm going to free you because I'm the nice earthling. Mm. Earthling. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas black stories about science fiction are, oh, cool, green people. I'm going to make out with the blue chick. (laughs) Um, The idea that a lot of black science fiction comes from is not going to the stars and then becoming rulers over it, but just living nicely with another version of other. And I think you don't see enough of those stories in science fiction. Yeah, I think a lot of stories are about changing other worlds and imposing one set of thinking onto someone else's yeah. you know, way of life. And something like Space is a Place, something like Black Panther for me is refreshing because it, it doesn't do that. It doesn't say, well, this is the way we do things, so this is the way everyone else has got to do things. It's freeing. You can have so much more narrative fun when you do that than just play the same stories over and over again. It's Especially fil- in space. Like, <laughs> space is crazy. Why does everything have to be so prescriptive? It's filmic free jazz, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some questionable um, female characters in this film, I will say. Very questionable hospital scene. Yeah, um, the women aren't treated yeah. particularly well. But then you know, it was the seventies. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't see my like facial expression on the podcast. I, I just you listen to my voice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've, we've thankfully come a very long way from then, and I think Black Panther is a very good example of how far we've come in the roles that are written for female characters in science fiction. Though then again, Blade Runner, but. Scores then for space is the place, Carl. Anticipation, this is a film that came out well before I was born, so I'll give it a two. Enjoyment, I'll give it a three. I greatly enjoy seeing loads of weird, dope black stuff. But this was weird, dope black stuff that didn't quite come together, so I'll give it a three. And in retrospect, its importance and the importance of Sun Ra as a historical figure and, and the importance of Afrofuturism as a result of it and how it feeds into Black Panther is a four. So uh, two, three, four for me. Hannah? I did, yeah, it was like a, a two, three, three. I didn't really know much about it. I'm glad I watched it. I think it's interesting you know, and important to watch these films that do challenge your idea of what is film. Because this was made mm. as a kind of accompaniment to his album at the time with the yeah. same name. So, and that's it, why yeah. I felt frustrated. I, wanted, I just desperately wanted to hear more of his music in the film. I just mm-hmm. there's just not enough. So it was a three a three one three for me. I sat there and I got frustrated. Unfortunately, it can't be all things to all people at the end no, of the day. No, and, and why would we want it to be? You know, the, the beauty of cinema is that everyone takes a different thing from every film. Mm-hmm. So. Life would be damn boring if we all like the same thing, right? 
<laughs> anyway, let us know what you think of Space is the Place or Ladybird or Black Panther. Get in touch with us via email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or at LWLies on Twitter or Facebook. And I think that is about it for this week. Shall I give you a rundown next week? I'm back next week. Yeah, it'll be... Uh, I doubt very I... much he'll have me back. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully James will be back next week from his uh, from his holidays and it'll be me and Adam talking about I, Tonya, Dark River and for Film Club, we are reappraising um, Sam Mendes' American Beauty, which mm. hasn't aged well, uh, not just because of obviously the um, Kevin Spacey allegations, but also because it's it won Best Picture back in 1999. Yeah, 1999. Yeah. It won in a, a... I remember it being a stacked year. Yeah. I remember uh, it, it coming number one in a really Well, it's the year dense... Fight Club was out as well. Well, well really. that, there's another film that hasn't aged <laughs> Yeah, exactly, yeah. A year of questionable choices. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it because it features Alison Janney in a supporting role and she is... Uh, nominated for an Oscar for her performance in I, Tonya. So we're going to have a chat about Jani and her career. Mm, fantastic. So, yeah, give us your thoughts on um, American Beauty and what you take out of that and if you think it's still up there or if it is another crash. Oh, just let's not go there. Not <laughs> I, aged. I think the first 15 minutes of American Beauty are, are fantastic. I haven't seen the other hour and a half in a while. <laughs> Probably best to leave it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Go and watch the other hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Hannah. This has been Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast, and it was a seven digital production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.